You're listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For other resources, more information about this sermon series, or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Good morning. I'm Patty Skinner, and I will be reading from Hosea 11, 1 through 9, and 14, 1 through 7. As you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the balls, and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms but they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them, I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. Will they not return to Egypt, and will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? A sword will flash in their cities. It will devour their false prophets, and put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn from me. Even though they call me God Most High, I will by no means exalt them. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboiim? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again. For I am God and not a man, the Holy One among you. I will not come against their cities. Return, Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods to what our own hands have made. For in you the fatherless find compassion. I will heal their waywardness and love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like a lily. Like a cedar of Lebanon, he will send down his roots. His young shoots will grow. His splendor will be like an olive tree. His fragrance like a cedar of Lebanon. People will dwell again in his shade. They will flourish like the grain. They will blossom like the vine. Israel's fame will be like the wine of Lebanon. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. I'm going to pray as we get into this. You might be wondering to yourself, where are we going with this passage that we just looked at? We'll see in a minute here. Let me pray. Father, uh, we thank you so much for speaking to us through your word. And, and we do confess that sometimes these Old Testament prophecies, they feel a little shrouded and veiled. And there's just a lot there that's confusing or hard to understand. We pray that you would illuminate our understanding today 
Help us to see what you are saying through the prophet Hosea. Help us not just to receive what you have to say, though. Help us to be transformed by it. Help us to be changed into people of your love, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to start with a story. There was a man who uh, went in search of a wife. He, he went and found the woman that he wanted to marry. He proposed to her. She accepted. And her name was Gomer. Nice name, right? Uh, he saw her as beautiful, but judging by her name, she may not have been. Uh, and unfortunately, there was worse news about Gomer than her name. You see, the man who went in search of her went by God's own decree. God had sent him to marry a prostitute. And similar to in our day, back in that day, prostitutes were often trapped in a life of slavery. And so for this man to marry Gomer, by the way, his name was Hosea. He's the one who we just read his prophecy. Uh, he, it, for, for Hosea to marry Gomer, he would need to redeem her. He would need to buy her back from her pimp, her slave master. So as you can see, this was absolutely scandalous. Not only would it have been viewed as an unclean act for a man to join himself to a prostitute, sex slaves like her would have also been seen similarly to how they are in our day, devalued, dehumanized, in some ways barely human to everyone but their masters who really only saw them as valuable because of what they could get out of them. And so for Hosea to spend this money for her wouldn't only be scandalous, it would have seemed ludicrous. Everyone thought that he was nuts. Why would you keep on redeeming an unfaithful wife, they thought. They didn't understand that God, through Hosea, loved Gomer. God, through Hosea, had compassion on her despite her ways. Still, things got worse for Hosea. Though they were married and they had three kids together, Gomer ran back to her pimp, and Hosea had to go and buy her back. But you see, God had sent Hosea on this mission for a very specific reason. God wanted Israel to see Hosea's marriage to a prostitute as a picture of how he related to them. And, and the same is true for us. God wants us to see through Hosea's marriage to a prostitute a picture of how he relates to us. Because though God loves us beyond our imagination, like Gomer, we forget who we belong to. Though he has united us to himself through a covenant, like Gomer ran to the arms of other men, we give ourselves to other gods, like money, pleasure, power. Though God sees us as beautiful, like Gomer, we are prone to living ugly lives. Like, uh, though God has redeemed us from our former masters, like Gomer, we voluntarily return to slavery. Through his covenant to an adulterous wife, Hosea learns how great God's love is. 
he learns how unwavering God's love is. He learns how compassionate God is. And you know what? It transforms him. Absolutely transforms him. And it doesn't transform him to take advantage of God's love. It actually transforms him to know God's love more deeply. Hosea became a person of love. And so he called Israel to return to the God who was waiting for them with open arms. He called them to become people of love too. And through the book of Hosea, we, we are taught that we find Advent love when we return to our God. If I could try and summarize the big idea of the whole book, we find Advent love when we return to our God. And we're going to look at two main lessons from the book of Hosea and based on some of the scripture that we heard earlier. Two main lessons. The first one is repentance is a return to God's love. See, while Hosea was calling Israel back to God, the problem was he knew that they wouldn't return to God. Not right away, at least. He knew that for Israel to return to God, it would require God disciplining them. And so because the primary metaphor in Hosea's life is his marriage to an adulterous wife, this book is filled with him pronouncing all sorts of accusations and judgments and warnings of impending punishment, promises of Israel's destruction and being taken into captivity by all the surrounding nations. The vast majority of this book is, is of this nature. And I'll just give you one verse, because you probably couldn't handle if I read all of it. It'd probably take us a long time, too. But, but just to give you an idea of the kinds of judgments and pro pronouncements that he was making. Hosea 5.4, he says, Their deeds do not permit them to return to their God. In other words, their deeds are a barrier to returning to God's love. A spirit of prostitution is in their heart. They do not acknowledge the Lord, or some translations will say, they do not know the Lord. Hosea is saying that you cannot return to God without repentance, without humbling yourself and turning away from living on your own terms. And he uses very, very strong language to describe what's going on in our hearts if we're acting in pride, in unrepentance and rebellion. He says here, did you catch it? We have a spirit of prostitution. Just let that sink in for a minute. A spirit of waywardness, a spirit of infidelity. And you might be thinking at this point, you're like, man, this is quite a downer. I thought this was a sermon about love. What are we talking about here? Well, what I want to show you is that we are talking about love. Here's how. Hosea says you can't return to God without repentance. He says that you cannot return to God without acknowledging him, without knowing him. And so when it comes to the topic of love, you cannot experience the love of God without repentance. You can't. See, in our culture, we tend to reduce love down to a feeling, but it is so much more than that. Some of you guys are already thinking of that song by Boston more than a feeling. I can't help but think of that when I say that every single time. But let's just set that aside for a minute and think about how we look at love. We tend to reduce love to a feeling, but it is so much more than that. 
the highest form of love, the, the form of love that God has for us as his people, the kind of love that the Bible talks about most, is a devotion that is so strong, so firm, that it leads to action. And so merely saying that you want to know God in some kind of abstract, mushy feeling kind of way, but failing to turn away from that which inhibits his love is actually a rejection of his love. And what God wanted more than anything was for his people to know him and his love. He was so devoted to his people that it led to an action. In this case, that was the punishment that he, uh, that, that, that he was enacting on them. The punishment was designed to bring them back to him, to shine a light on their hearts so that they would wake up and return. And you know, a lesser known fact about Advent is that it is a season of repentance. It's actually a bit like Lent. That's what the purple in these candles represents, is a time of repentance, a time of stepping into God's love in deeper and deeper ways through returning to him, things like fasting and, and repentance. Do you want to know God's love more fully? you got to return to him. Do you want to share God's love more fully with others? you got to return to him and know that he is waiting for us with open arms. Repentance is a return to God's love. The second lesson that we're going to look at through this book is rebellion cannot quench God's love. And here's where the good news really begins to surface. We saw this a bit with the dynamic of uh, Hosea and Gomer's relationship, right? That her rebellion, her waywardness would not put away God's love for her through Hosea. And now, later in the book, we find this glimmer of hope amid all these pronouncements of judgment. In chapter 11, we see this glimmer of hope. In the metaphor, God switches to speaking to his people from that husband-wife relationship, that metaphor, to now talking about a father-son relationship, from wayward wife to wayward child. And we'll look at this in a, in a few different bits. First, verses 1 through 4. When Israel was a child, I loved him. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Some of you may know that uh, the New Testament tells us that that verse was fulfilled in Jesus, in his uh, family leaving Egypt and returning to Israel. But God's talking to Israel uh, as a father talks to a child in verse 2. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals. These are idols, okay? They sacrificed to these idols and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk. This is Ephraim's another name for Israel. It was I who taught Israel to walk, taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them I was like one who lifts a little child up to the cheek, and I bent down to feed them. 
God is not only our great creator, but our great redeemer. And he didn't just create Israel as a people beginning with Abraham and his family. He also redeemed them as a people, bringing them up out of their slavery in Egypt. God's calling that to mind here. And yet it says here, they did not realize that God was the one parenting them. And so they went away from God and they sacrificed to these false gods, these idols like the Baals. And likewise, friends, as the church, God has not only created us, but he redeems us and he parents us like a loving father. Not like some of our fathers who were less than loving. Not like some of our earthly fathers who gave us a bad example, but like a loving father. Did you see that picture here in this passage? The way that God described himself as a loving father who holds our hand and teaches us how to walk by walking with us. Think about that. The almighty creator of the universe stoops down and he teaches us how to walk by walking with us. And yet, we turn away from him too. Any of you who've been around toddlers have experienced this exact same dynamic. You know, you're trying to walk them down the street, but they think that they know better and they wiggle their hand free and they begin to run off into traffic, right? And you think to yourself, man, that child, they're so wise in doing that, right? No. See, they think they know where the good life is found. And they think, obviously, it's not holding your hand because you're just tying them down. You're keeping them from their fun. Little do they realize that with you is life. And apart from you is death. Your hand, it, it may seem like shackles of slavery to them, but you keep them close with cords of kindness and ties of love, and, and the same is true for how God relates to us. He says here, he leads us with cords of kindness, with ties of love. And even as God's children, as the New Testament describes us, we're tempted to believe that we will find life somewhere else, somewhere apart from him. And this seeking of life elsewhere, this is the essence of idolatry. As I mentioned earlier, this could be things like money, pleasure, power. But Hosea goes on to describe another very practical way in which Israel committed idolatry. They sought political power and security. This was in verses 5 through 7. Will they not return to Egypt and will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? A sword will flash in their cities. It will devour their false prophets and put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn from me. Even though they call me God most high, I will by no means exalt them. God says, even though people say my name, I'm not going to take false repentance. And see, by trusting in Egypt and Assyria, they were forsaking their trust in God. 
By trusting in Egypt and Assyria, they were trusting in nations and human power. They were trusting in military might and their own strategies and achievements. Why? Why would they do this? If they've got Almighty God that they can place their trust in, why would they put their trust in these other things? And the answer is because they were afraid. Fear can lead you into all kinds of idolatry. Other nations were coming after them. They were surrounding them. Israel's kings were just one bad king after the next. They were weak. And so God's people, they thought if they could just just make some powerful political alliances, they would be safe again. Politics would save them. Power would save them. And you know, the same exact pattern plays out over and over and over again throughout history. Like I said, unchecked fear often leads to idolatry, and unchecked political fear leads to political idolatry. And sadly, even the church is not immune to placing our trust in political power and military power rather than in God. I'll give you one example of this that I saw earlier this week. I was watching a YouTube channel called Soft White Underbelly, okay, kind of an unusual name, unusual YouTube channel. This guy who's a famous photographer, he interviews people who are kind of the underbelly of society most often, people who are outcasts, people who are... Uh, who have suffered from abuse or, or are suffering in, at present from addiction. And he's interviewing this guy uh, who I think was a, a fentanyl addict, actually, which is unrelated to why I'm telling you the story. But the, he's asking the, the guy how he grew up and what his family was like. And the kid says, you know, my parents, I think it was his mom, was hardcore left wing and my dad was hardcore right wing, Right? And they just fought and fought and fought. And he talks about the trauma of, of being in a, in a home that was so divided. And sadly, I think that so many of us as Christians, we elevate our political alliances and devalue our love for one another and for God in the process. See, idolatry, it, it leads us away from God's love. And so it's a good thing that rebellion cannot quench God's love, which I think is so beautifully shown through verses 8 and 9 here. How can I give you up, Ephraim? Remember, that's just another name for Israel. How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma? How can I make you like Zeboim? My heart is changed within me. This is God speaking. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again, for I am God and not a man, the Holy One among you. I will not come against their cities. Now you may know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, where God rained down fire and destroyed these cities due to their wickedness and their evil. Well, Adma and Zeboim are other names for those two cities. So he's talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, and here God says to Israel, called by that other name Ephraim, how could I do that to you? 
How could I treat you like Sodom and Gomorrah? He says, sure, you've done evil, but you're my son. You belong to me. God instills identity into his people. He says, yes, you've done these things, but you are mine. He says, how can I give you up? How can I hand you over? As he reflects on Israel being his child, God says, his heart for them, it's changed. In the ESV translation, it says his compassion grows warm and tender. And he promises after they are disciplined, this, is, this comes later, that he will not act in anger, but in love. Friends, we can grossly underestimate the love and compassion of our God. See, God's love, it's not contingent on us, but on him. And God's very nature, very character is love. He even says here, he's God and not a man. He's saying, I don't have to act in anger even when you deserve it. Sometimes we need to experience his anger because it, it acts like a defibrillator. I don't even know how to say that word. Def- it, it jolts us awake and brings us back to life. But most of the time, his love is what calls us to return to him. And while we can reject his love, our rebellion cannot quench his love. Which brings us to the end of the book, that bit in chapter 14 that we heard read earlier. And I'm just going to highlight one specific verse. Because this story that began, as I told you, with Hosea marrying Gomer, this prostitute, this wayward wife, as a picture of Israel's unfaithfulness to God, this book ends with Israel returning to God's loving arms. Hosea 14, 4, I will heal their waywardness and love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. God's love is contingent on him, not us. And here we see that God's character has the final word, not human sin. And here God tells us that his love for his people, it it overwhelms his anger. It it transcends it. It eclipses his anger. And this was a promise that God gave through Hosea, but it wouldn't be fulfilled for hundreds and hundreds of years. It was way off into the future. A promise that Hosea was waiting on. He might have wondered, how is it that God would do this? How would his love Turn away his anger. Hosea might not have known exactly, but we know that the way in which this has happened is through Jesus. God's love incarnate. God's love in the flesh. 1 John 4.9 says that this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. I told you that the highest form of love is devotion that also leads to action. And we can see this so clearly in God's character. God's absolute devotion to us 
which led to the action of him sending his son. See, what God wanted more than anything was for his people to know him and his love. And he wanted so badly for them to return to him that he returned to them. See, this is what turns his anger away. This is what Hosea was waiting on. He was waiting on God to fulfill this promise to love his people freely. He was waiting for a time way off in the future when a Savior would come. We, we hear earlier in, in Hosea 3.5 that he's waiting on a Davidic king, on a Messiah to come and change everything. Where Israel would finally re return in repentance. When God's wrath and his anger and his judgment would be transformed into love, compassion, and kindness. And this is what happened through Christ. And so during this Advent season, remember that God sent his love to you. He didn't just send his love to us. He sent his love to you in this child. God's love in the flesh that we might know him, that we might return to him, and that we might love him. We find Advent love when we return to our God. I'm going to pray and we'll respond to him together. God, thank you so much for sending us your love in the person of your son. Jesus, we thank you for, for not just coming in the form of a child, but growing up and, and living for us and dying for us and rising for us and reigning over us. And we pray throughout this season that we would step more and more towards you. We would return to you, that we might share your love with those around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For more information about our services or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Thanks for listening.